the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. Fire, they lost it all. They got whatever they could. They come here to a strange island. And they're not asking for designer furniture that all the rooms have to match one another. They're just saying, go to Salvation Army and just give me a chair to sit on, basically. And they're saying, I'm so excited for that. And they're showing us how to live a life of faith. Oh, a life of faith. They can do it. I can do it. Now you see what's happening. The body of Christ is now coming together. And that's what this principle is all about, material possessions. So whatever job you have, whoever you are, when you give, you're giving now, hopefully, to bring the body together in love one for another. And that's what this passage is talking about. And when it says this little phrase in here, I put my seal on this as I go on my way to you when I go to Spain. I don't, I don't wish I had the time, and I'm speaking so fast because there's so much up there, but, but, but pretend there's a map up here. Okay, you got Jerusalem here, you got Rome over here, you got Spain way over here. Paul is saying, I'm writing to you in Rome, and I want to go to Spain but I got to go back over here to Jerusalem because he's part of that mechanism of getting all that that's up there in Macedonia, the funds down to the Jews and the Christian Jews in, in Jerusalem. But he also wants to stop by Rome as he wants to really go to Spain. Can you imagine him traveling thousands of miles back and forth? And now when, when you think of traveling like that, you might think of uh, the, 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 the Westerns you watch, uh, the, the, the covered wagon kind of thing. Well, I want you to know when Paul was traveling, it was 1,800 years before the Old West, let alone now we jump on a plane nine hours or in Atlanta. Think about that for just a moment. Nine hours or in Atlanta. You're in New York, nine hours later you could be in Iowa. You know, I mean, it just it, the world is so much smaller. And he did that because he wanted to keep the body connected, everybody appreciating one another, receiving from one another. Why, 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 why? The Holy Spirit... Having him do this, serving God's God's way, serving the Lord God's way, records it in here so we can see the bigger picture. This is how the New Testament church started in the first hundred years and why it went global and why the onus falls on us, the onus falls on us to continue doing that as well. Let's go to number seven. So we have the material possessions. Now, there may be some of you that will say, you know, I, I, do, I just don't have much. I think material possessions are relative, but pretty much some of you might come to that point. Look what he says in verse 7. He says, we would, uh, he says, I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of my checkbook. I will come in the fullness of my pickup truck loaded with furniture for you. I will come in the fullness of whatever. Here he says, I come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Now, I don't see perhaps any material possessions that Paul owns himself in this mechanism of providing funds for those poor Jewish Christians. But I do see this. He says, but when I come, and I will come, and when I come, I'm going to come in the fullness of the blessings of Christ. So no matter whether I have material possessions or not, I am coming to bring Christ to you. I am so full of Christ. 
And he's like a spark plug that when he goes there, in some measure, he will be an encouragement to those people that have so many needs. And I hope that perhaps that would be the same. So he says, I come to Jerusalem, I'm going to be full of God's blessing. When I come to you in Rome, I'm going to be full of God's blessing. So let's just pause for a moment. How do we become full in the blessings of the Lord? Think about that. I know I have all the spiritual blessings in the heavenlies, which means I'm accepted in the beloved one. I'm a part of his forever family. I've got his spirit will never leave me. I've got that's that's absolutely essential for my eternality with God. What about the nasty here and now, though? What about right now, that nasty here and now? What happens here? here? Here's what that means. That means that even if I don't have something of value of money, I do value my spiritual relationship that I have with the Lord and all that gives me for my moment-by-moment life on planet Earth. See if I can frame it another way. Let's say that um, I'm a very wealthy man and I um, asked you, nobody else is in here but just you, and I said, I will give you 10000 seriously, I will give you $10,000 if you make a promise to me that no matter what you go through in this life, you, for this next year, just one year, no matter what you go through, for one year, I'll give you $1,000 if you promise you will never pray. You may be really hurting right now. $1,000 look good. Let's say $10,000. let us say I'm very wealthy. I have $100,000, and I said, I'll give you $100,000 if you promise that no matter what you go through, you will not take it to the Lord. You will just bite the bullet and go through it. How many of you would genuinely take $100,000 as long as you didn't have to pray? I don't think there's one of you. You'd say, you could offer me a gazillion dollars, Stan. I, I would turn it down because I, I have to have that communion with the Lord in order to live and to help and to do what I need to do. Let me tell you, I hug you for that. I lick your face for that. That's the right response. That is great. That's what I've given my life that you would believe and live and think that. But what you're really saying is your spiritual blessing is your relationship with the Lord that God gives to you that's worth more than any money, any resource that you ever have. So what you have now, whether you don't have a lot of money or things that you can do to help other people, you can take all that you have to the Lord and teach them how they can have all of that with the Lord, which will be far more than whatever earthly possessions that they have. Now, do I hear an amen on that? And that's how we serve the Lord, the Lord's way. So I want to make sure that I keep my perspective eternal with the Lord on that. All right, let's go to number eight. Almost done here. Great truth in this one. We would work together in prayer for others. Since we talked about prayer in my illustration, now let's see how it fleshes itself out in how we work with other people. All right? I'm not only building my fullness, my blessing in Christ because I concentrate on him. Now I want to add that to other people by praying. And here's what he says. This is really cool. He says, now I urge you. I wonder why he had to say that. Were they getting weak on prayer? Did he already have an understanding that all of us have a propensity to be weak on prayer? I don't know, but I know this. God wanted us to read this so that we would be urged. And that's why he said, I urge you, brethren. So he's not asking unsaved people, non-Christians, to do this. He's only asking those who are Christians. And what does he say? By our Lord Jesus Christ, by the love of the Spirit, I believe it's love for the Spirit, that particular um, preposition in the Greek could go either way, so you have to go in context, and I believe it's his relationship upward, not God's relationship downward in this case. By our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love for the Spirit, only time it's ever mentioned in Scripture, this little phrase, he says, I want to strive together with me. Would you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me? Let's pray together with me, and let's pray together for me in that passage. Now get your pens ready. 
You probably remember that 11 years ago when I started going through Scripture verse by verse, I came across a passage of Scripture that had the Trinity in there. Not the Word, but God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And I said that I'm on this journey that every time in Scripture that I could find the Trinity in Scripture, I'm going to mark it and see how many times it's referred to. I know I'm a little tangent here, but I wanted to give this to you. In this passage, you see the Trinity again. By our Lord Jesus Christ, so you can circle Christ. By the love of the Spirit, you can circle Spirit there. In your prayers to God, circle God there. So you have Christ, Spirit, God. You have the Trinity all wrapped up in here. Now that phrase that says, strive together with me in prayers to God for me, that is very rich as well. So it's not like Paul saying, I don't want to tell anybody. I don't want to say anything, I don't want to, say anything to anybody else. So I'm just going to, I'm going to just pray by myself. I don't see that. What he's saying here is he's asking others to pray for him. So I don't think if Paul was in a prayer meeting and you were taking prayer requests and Paul was sitting in the audience, maybe in your very seat, and you said, anybody got a prayer request? I don't think Paul would have said, and we'd say, okay, what you have, Paul? And he'd say, I have an unspoken. I think sometimes unspoken requests get unspoken answers. So it's quite possible that if you think it's so private or it has something to do that you're not ready yet to expose because you don't have the faith or you don't feel comfortable with it yet in your life, don't just throw it up as an unspoken. Take that privately. And then I'd say to the rest of us who's in this audience, when someone does that, we might ask ourselves, have we created a reputation that, first of all, that we can't be trusted with their private prayer requests about themselves? Did we not create a safe environment for them to be able to share that? Is it possible that they don't know that they have a safe environment? We haven't got to know them well enough to do that. So all I'm saying is, I don't see unspoken requests mentioned in Paul. He doesn't encourage us to do that, command us to give unspoken to one another. He just says, pray for me. Now you're saying, no, he didn't say anything here. He just said, pray for me. I haven't got to that point yet, so hang in there. All right, so back to this, though. So he says, I want you to pray with me. And the other thing he didn't do, he didn't say, you pray for me. I'm just going to think about my problems. No, he said, strive together with me regarding my problems for me. And that word strive together is not just striving. It's striving with a, it's like on, 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 on nitro. That word strive is a super strive. I mean, you really struggle with me. You own this prayer request that I have. You feel what I feel. You fear what I fear. You know what I'm going through as best as you can. And together I want you to lock, um, step with me, brother to brother, arm to arm. We're going to pray for this and pray for me. And probably a little bit what Paul is doing is, I'm going to pray for you. As long as it's not unspoken, so I don't know how to pray. So share it with me. Striving together. When I think of striving together, I think of the military striving together. I'm thinking of two helicopters that went down. The men in one, the men in the other. They were striving together. The two of them are striving together. And I'm thinking about the military community striving together. And I think about our island striving together for the pain of what's going on. We are in this together with them. And we ought to do that for Christians. How important that is. Well, let me end with our last point and a couple of subpoints, and we'll be pow. All right. How's he ending this thing? In verses 30 through 33, when we do pray and we do ask for prayer, we're practical in our prayer. He says, striving together with me in your prayers, plural, many people praying many times to God for me. And what was his request? That I may be rescued from those who are disobedient. In Judea. And then it says, and that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints. In other words, I'll have fruit there. So that I may come to you in joy by the will of God. So I have fulfillment and excitement. And I find refreshing rest in your company. Boy, is that a mouthful to give as a 
I got, I got a prayer request? Yep, here's what I want you to pray for. And then he just unloads this whole thing, just dumps it on the Roman Christians in this letter. And he essentially kind of dumps it on us as an example of maybe what we ought to do is look at this. Maybe that's the kind of praying we ought to pray for our missionaries. Maybe that's the kind of praying we need to pray for our Christian leaders. Maybe that's the kind of praying we need to pray for our husband or wife or mother or father or brother or sister or mom or dad. That's the kind of prayers we ought to pray. So instead of just unspoken, yeah, I need a job. Yeah, I got a hangnail. I get that. But maybe right now we need to pray these kinds of prayers from the inside out. So let's talk about this practical prayer. So if you want to pray and serve God God's way or pray the way the Lord would have us, number one would be for protection. For protection. Here it says in this passage that I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea. Now that's, you think, well, they're disobedient. So what? Why do I have to do that? Disobedient means they are, their, their minds are absolutely closed. Follow me now. Their minds are absolutely closed. They're disobedient. They're obstinate. They don't want what you say and they'll fight you for what you believe. And so they're just working against you. So they're disobedient to God. They're hard hearted. They don't want the truth. They don't want your truth that you're giving to them. And so when it says in Judea, it's because whenever Paul went through that part of, of Israel, there were so many uh, Jews, unsaved Jews, that would come against him. And then they'd bring him to the political leaders at that time. And then you read in, in, in 2 Corinthians how that he was given up for dead and whipped and all the stuff that went on. Everywhere he went, when they were disobedient, they really fought against him. And he says, please pray for me because I have no fruit among them. The gospel is having no success. The word of God is not having freedom there. And it's all coming against me. And so they hate me because I'm bringing this. Now think about that. Let me just make it very practical. How many of you have got a family member that when you try to give the gospel to them, they're obstinate and it begins to spill out on you. And then they leave you out of luau's and family picnics and stuff like that. Or they kind of marginalize you. That's like the disobedient Judea. This is the disobedient in Honolulu. And you're not getting the repercussions for that. So what you do in a prayer meeting, you say, would you pray for me? Because there are family members that are really disobedient to the Lord. Now, you're not saying things negative about them. You're saying things that are truthful about them that happens to be negative. And you're saying, would you pray for me during those situations are coming against me? And it could be on your job. It could be wherever you go, wherever Paul went. People were obstinate to that truth. And he says, pray for me that I would be protected in those types of situations. And it's all over scripture. The second he said... When you pray for me, would you also pray that I would be productive, that I'd have productiveness? Of course. All men, and I think many, many, if not all ladies, they want to succeed at being a mother. They want to succeed at being a wife. They want to succeed at being a business professional person. Everybody wants to do that. They all want to succeed. And so what's wrong with Paul wanting to have some fruit? And you'll see again in the passage of Scripture, he talks about that. He says, and that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints. In other words, that when I do speak to those people there, that they accept what I'm saying and that they're growing from it. This is probably one of the biggest prayer requests that I, I pray myself and I've asked my prayer partners is that I would see fruit from your life, from the investment of time that Carol and I, I, I placed in you. We're not perfect. We're not the, we are who we are. We love you and we've grown tremendously. But the biggest thing I'd like to see is not the biggest church on the island. I'd like to see the most holiest, righteous people on the island. So for me, the greatest encouragement 
is when you are growing in the Lord, when you're accepting us based on the truths that we share. Not I accept you, but I don't like what you say. I'd rather have you accept what we have to say and not like us, as long as it's biblical, of course. And you know, I think that's with anyone. You, you young people that are out here, your mom and dad want to count in your life. Yes, they want you to be a success, but they want more than anything. Listen, if you want to say, what's the one thing, what one gift I could give back to my mom and dad, and here's what it is. A son or a daughter who's a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. That's all they want. They don't care if you're a butcher, baker, candlestick maker. Maybe a baseball player that's in the major leagues or something because you make a lot of money. I'm joking on that. But the bottom line is still, they want you to be full on for God. That's all. And that's all Paul wanted. He said that the people over here, we saints, they would be growing in what I'm saying. He said, I could put up with all the beating and the spitting and being left out for dead. I, I can handle all of that as long as I know that it's, it's counting. And those of you that read your Bible, you know that at the very end, his deathbed declaration in 2 Timothy, the last book that he wrote, last letter he wrote to Timothy that's recorded in Scripture, he said, all men have forsaken me. Only Luke is with me. Can you imagine that? And you know what I say? I've used that verse so many times when there have been pastors and Christian leaders who feel so alone. I said, you're in good company with the Apostle Paul. And why did that hurt him so much? Because all he wanted to see was a little bit of productiveness in the lives of the people. And here's the last one. In that same prayer, and this was so sweet, and this is how I feel here. He also wanted to have some pleasantness. He says, so that when I come to you, I'll come to you in joy by the will of God. In other words, not my manufactured will. It's not you've reached my goals, but we're serving the Lord together his way. And so we're in God's will. I have joy in that. And then he says, and I can find refreshing and rest in your company. That refreshing and rest is a very, boy, this is, on, this is going all over the world, but I hope I say this right. It is a phrase used in Greek, not just the Greek in Scripture, but in Greek um, writings, that same word. And what it means is you feel so safe, it's like in your arms of your husband or wife in bed at night. You feel that restful. You feel like the whole world is out there, but you are safe in the bosom of your mate. And he says, that's how I feel. Now, I will tell you that I pray that Pastor Scott will receive from you the same love that Carol and I have received, that he would feel as safe as I have felt and Carol has felt around you here, that you've loved us and you've walked with the Lord, you accepted us, all of our good points, our warts and all, as we might say. That is my prayer. Yet it's not a very passionate prayer, probably because I know you're going to do it. There are other things I can pray for for you. This one you got. And I know that Scott's going to appreciate that. And he ends this little section before next week with a little doxology, a little benediction. So think of Kaipo as he leads us here, all right? He says, now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. So be it. You know, the benediction is found three different times in this one chapter alone. It seems like every time Paul gets to a point, he says something, he's got to stop and say, praise the Lord, glory to God. You know, he just gets in and he can preach some more. And then praise the Lord. He, he, he had to keep coming back to that. And I love this. It says, now the God of peace. In this letter alone to Rome, to the Roman Christians, not Roman Church Catholic, 
He refers to God as the God of encouragement, the God of hope, and now the God of peace. Wow, did he see God correctly? He's my encouragement. He is my hope. He is from whom I get my peace. And now he says, may that God that I know be with you as well. And he didn't just say you. He said you all. And when I read you all, I'm thinking about even those Romans that probably weren't walking with the Lord. He said, I love you so much. I want you to have all that God has for you, no matter who you are as a brother and sister in Christ. And that would be a good place to end this sermon. So let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed. Dearly beloved, I just want you to know God's word is so rich. It is so helpful. And you can serve the Lord, but now do it his way. And let's take from the Apostle Paul's life and his attitude and his writings as he wrote to the dearly beloved Christians in Rome. And let's pretend for just a moment that uh, that letter never made it to Rome. But it made it right here. And I'm reading his letter to us. And so let's take from his life and how he saw the Christian life and how he did what he did by the inspiration of God and apply it to our life. So I pray that we would respond to the grace that God has given to us so we can minister better. I pray that we would remain humble, realizing that whatever we have, it's come from the Lord, and we are so grateful, and we're most grateful for His mercy and His grace. And that we would be willing to take risks, that we would go big, and go big is just a little bigger than where we are. And some will take a big step, some will take a small step, but let's everybody take a step. And knowing that there'll be things we'll try that won't work, but that's okay. It's just it didn't work this time. It may work next time. But we're going to let God direct our steps, open doors. For we want God to open a door that no man can close, but we definitely want God to close a door that no man should open. And at the same time, we're going to make plans. We're going to meet together. We're going to be thinking not of this is what I want to do. It's this is what maybe others in the church would like to do. Having others in mind as we make our plans realizing that it's going to take material provisions and we're going to have to do it even when we're poor. And remember that there are people a lot poorer than we are, Macedonia and Achaia, that gave to people that we didn't care so much for. I'm sure they had some issues. They knew that the Jews didn't like the Gentiles, but it didn't matter. They had a need. And God used that to bring them together. And they didn't just give it to anybody. They gave it to Christians that were poor. That came first. Strengthen the Christians and they can go after the lost and help them to learn to be Christians and receive the spiritual blessings that Paul had. So reach out. Don't forget those poor people that are around us. Don't marginalize them. Be sensitive and generous. Always keep it in mind that our prosperity is really in the Lord and not just material things. Begin to pray for others. And be a little bit more specific about those prayers. Less about our health, less about our wealth, and a whole lot more about our protection because we're standing for biblical truths and people are coming against us. More about how we'd like to see fruit and fulfillment from our effort. Nothing wrong with that because while we see it, that means it had to happen. If it had to happen, lives are changed and it's all about others and still not about us. And then finally, let's create an environment that is as safe as possible for people to be in We love them enough to accept them where they are. We love them even more to not leave them there. 
And then all the praise goes to the Lord as he bountifully blesses this church with spiritual and perhaps numerical growth because it's all about him. Those of you who are guests today, this is really a message for those who already know they're going to heaven. You can never serve the Lord to get to heaven, so what do you do then? You trust him as your savior to get you to heaven. And it's by faith alone. And so all you do is come to him and say, you know, this is a great message, but I, I don't know how to do this. Well, you come into Christ and his word and spirit, other believers will help you learn. So right now, just simply say, Lord, I know I've done things wrong, but the best I know how right now, I'm trusting Christ as my savior. If you're doing that, you can let me know. There's a little mark on that card, put your name and check it off. I trusted Christ today. I believe he died and he rose again. I know that I can't get to heaven by my works, but I can if I trust in Christ. And I'm doing that now. You let me know. Our gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for the Apostle Paul that went through so much and yet he lived his life full on for you. And as much as he could, because he was still human, he attempted to serve you your way. And then he recorded what he did because you prompted him to do that, which meant that it happened. And so, Father, it's for our edification, but it's also for us to be thoroughly equipped to every good work. So help us, Father, to take this message and as a mom or a dad or a husband or a wife or a brother or a sister, fellow traveler on the journey of life together, that together we would serve you your way for your glory. In your name, amen. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.